coming up on Entertainingly Educational. So one day we, I was flying the river with uh, this other guy, and uh, you know they have there's bald eagles mm-hmm. along the Cape Fear River, uh, and then you you know you got Raven Rock down there towards Lewington, mm-hmm. and uh, so we're flying, and I'm not kidding you. I looked out the right window, and there was an eagle flying, like not right beside my right, aircraft. Right. Like he was, I'm man. in the river. Yeah. And the eagle was over the tree. So it was like a good distance away, not even close to us. Mm-hmm. But it was really cool. I'm like, dude, you see that? And he's like, what? I was like, look out the right door. And he looks down. He's like, oh, that's an eagle. And I was like, yeah, man. I was like, fucking freedom flight. All right, all right, all right. This is part two of Major Warren Green's interview. We talked about a lot of technical stuff there. We're going to talk about some technical stuff in this next episode, but we kind of dive into uh, some some of the the things that the pilots have to go through mentally, emotionally. We got the the freedom flight, a couple uh, scary flights, testing, and then one of the big ones is what it's like to have to leave your kids, your wife, your family on deployments and what it's like to come back home. Get ready for the second part of our interview with Major Warren Green. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you for listening. Here we go. All right, so y'all got down, y'all headed towards him yeah. at a hundred feet and dipped down and scared him up. How how fast? How fast is an Apache? And I don't know if that's the right question. To yeah, ask. we get, I get asked that all the okay. time. Uh, you well, know, that's a shitty question on my part. Yeah, I'm not here to ask. Well, that, but yeah, it, we still want to know. Like, what's what's your hundred? We typically, I mean, we cruise at like 110 knots, 120 knots. So that's close to 170 miles an hour i think yeah, so that's 50. cruising that's what that's point a to point b 170 ish yeah. miles an hour something like that Shit. yeah that's fucking it's, getting it. yeah it, it'll get there you know like it's not it's not like s16 or anything like that but. <laughs> it's a helicopter it's yeah. not supposed to no it's not meant to fly no like i guess yeah it it i mean it you know we're getting the new echo models that we're getting ready to get uh, I'm going to start training on uh, in March, April time frame, which I'm really excited about. Uh, it's got a beefed up transmission. So it's got more power. I think we're cruising at like 160 knots. Mm. So that's like almost 200 miles an hour, I think, maybe. So if you got to get on it, and you know, you, let's say you've got some folks under fire and y'all got to get there and get yeah. on it. Um, I, and again, with a helicopter, the limited knowledge I know from being yeah. firefighting because we had to use helicopters for you know, prescribed burns and stuff. I know with temperature and all that shit to go yeah. into it, just on that average, if you had to shit and get somewhere, what what are you gonna be able to get to on that? Uh, if I climb, can I climb up the altitude? You do whatever the hell you if want. I climb, if I'm doing a, if I'm doing a cross country flight, which okay. I had, which I've done several of those, so I've I've flown uh, Apaches from Texas back to North North Carolina. I'll climb up the altitude, and uh. Let's see, if I get up to like six thousand, seven thousand feet, 
not get those tailwinds. I've seen 160, 172 knots. Okay. So, you know, over 200 miles an hour. But that's with a tailwind. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you won't climb up that high in a tactical situation. You're just going to pull the guts out of it and go as fast as you can until you drift the rotor. Um, well, you don't, you won't drift the rotor, but you'll you'll know what your limitations are before you even get in the aircraft, mm-hmm. and then you'll you'll pick an airspeed that's going to get you there. How high? Again, weather dependent, yeah. and all, but on average, how high? I know you're you're going up that high to do you know your auto rotation and test yeah. stuff, but how high is the helicopter capable of going and still? operating uh that i don't know okay. uh once you get about ten thousand feet you have to have oxygen okay. supplement oxygen do y'all have oxygen yep. so y'all are i mean we we could get it right. but we don't yeah. Yeah. Y'all yeah. up that high? the most i've done uh the highest i've been is nine thousand for maintenance checks before does does that affect your body or mind anyway being up that uh, high no well it depends when you come down out of altitude it's like okay. if, if i just dump the collective and we have like a thousand plus feet per minute ready to descent which is like falling uh your ears might bother you just okay. like any you know like coming out of altitude so it's nothing plane. like being being in a jet no no uh i've pulled a couple g's but for us to pull G's, like we have to get going really fast mm-hmm. and then pull back on the cyclic and then dip it over and you kind of get the turns. Yeah, and shit like yeah, that. get the oh, and then like weightless. Yeah, yeah. It, your stomach yeah. Con- it's the roller coaster. Yeah, it yeah. It feels like it, being in a roller coaster when it, you go down that first big hill. Yeah, we don't ever really do that. Um, we the closest time that thing that we'll ever do that for would be if we're doing combat maneuvering flight, okay. and that's where you're rolling the aircraft and pitching the aircraft to the allowable limits that we are allowed to go to based off our operator's manual mm-hmm. um which is uh, 120 degrees in roll hmm. uh and uh 60 pitch so that's actually like you're like oh 120 degrees that's not that bad it's not that bad until you roll well, it to 120 yeah. degrees and you're and like you almost <laughs> like upside down. You're like, oh shit. Or when you're going to 60 degrees in pitch and mm-hmm. when you're in the front seat, your entire weight feels like you're standing on the pedals. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, it's, it, it's pretty steep. What's it like in the cockpit? So you were obviously in mm-hmm. Iraq, Afghanistan. Y'all have air conditioning in the cockpit. Yes. Okay. Is that? Do you have to have it? Would it be at? Would it be? Oh, that'd be unbearable. Okay. Uh, black uh, Blackhawk pilots, Chinook pilots, they don't have it. Woo. Yeah. Yeah. So you got the little window open the whole That's time. That's it. <laughs> yeah, and you got and you flying with body armor on. Yeah. But, do y'all wear body armor? Uh, in combat, you do. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It it got tight up there in the front seat, man. You put body armor on. Like we have a uh in the seat. And the, there's a slot in there for our M4 rifle. So mm-hmm. I would carry my M9 on my flight vest. So it was always okay. With so me. y'all are carrying. Oh yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, I had a I had a bug out bag that I always like threw like an MRE in. I had a camel bag. It always went in the cockpit with mm-hmm. me. Hopefully, I remember to grab it <laughs> if I had to like unass the aircraft real fast. <laughs> but there's a slot in there for an M4, and it sits in the front seat. It sits up and down on the right side next to the canopy door. 
Well, I I put the magazine in, I rack around, and I put it in the in the rack. Uh, but the problem with that was I couldn't get in and out because the magazine stuck out so oh, far shit. and it was so big. Yeah. So what I did was instead of putting it in the rack, I laid it across the top mm. of my seat. Um, so that way it was out of the way I can get in and out. Um, but yeah, it is tight in there, uh, in the front seat, the back seat is pretty spacious. It's, it's, uh, there's a lot more room, but yeah. you know, the front seat you have, you know, the, you have this other screen that like sticks out at you. It's called the TDAC. It's a small screen. That's what the, the Tad's picture comes in on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, you know, not even a foot from your face. Uh, so yeah, so, so if it's, you hit the brakes hard, you go. Yeah, if you crash, man, like, and your your seatbelt isn't locked, like uh, you're you're just gonna eat that seat deck. I'm assuming no, there's no ejection seat Mm-mm. like a jet, like you. No, I've also been asked that several times. I didn't think there was. No, because... actually, the Germans created a, a helicopter with an ejection seat. But it doesn't make sense. You're not high enough. Ejected. Yeah, it doesn't. I no. mean, you're still but they the had ground. this. They had this. I forget what the helicopter's called, but the they had this system rigged to where the rotor blades would explode off oh, the shit. aircraft, and the pilots would eject. You know what? That's a good point. I'm not sure I want to eject out of a helicopter with the fucking rotor blades going yeah. at eight thousand uh, RPMs. I, I get. <laughs> I get asked that. Quite, you know, it's a valid. I mean, come on. Like, unless you've been around helicopters. It's not something you, everybody's seen Top Gun. They're like, oh, you can eject, right? Like, break your neck. Like uh, yeah, I just, I, you know, I don't laugh at them, but mm. I just, I was like, no, we don't have a Jackson seat. I was like, big spinny fan wouldn't work out in our favor. No, no it would, uh, it, it, it would not. I mean, but, you can go on the YouTube and look at rotors hitting the water and see what happens. Oh, yeah. Some no, of that shit like that. No. You're infrared. Yeah. Firebirds. And people have seen this movie. This is Nicholas Cage back, I want to say, in the early 90s was the movie. and But he was in a Cobra, which is a... Who flies the Cobra? Okay, so the Army used to fly Cobras. Okay. The Marines are the only ones that fly Cobras. Okay. And that thing is actually pretty badass. The Marines have a Zulu model Cobra. It has four rotor blades, two engines. The thing will haul Holy ass. Shit, that bitch is like the size of a... I mean, it's a little teeny thing. Yeah, I'd love to fly that thing. Dude, it's, that thing will weapon, haul ass. It's got a lot of weapons on yeah, it. Yeah, it's too, got right? a uh, it's got a twenty millimeter on the nose, uh, and it can carry Hellfire missiles and it can carry rockets. I don't think their rocket pods are as big as ours. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but so yeah, like a light attack, support, attack helicopter, just like the Apache. Okay. Yeah. On the infrared, and I, the yeah. point I'm trying to make with Firebirds is, you know, he whatever the hell happens to him, and he he can't. You know, he's having a hard time with mm-hmm. infrared and all that. What is it like to fly at night with that infrared? And you know, with hunting now, you can get the infrared stuff and all. And, but you're flying a helicopter. Yeah. And you've got all this shit in your face, and you're relying on the infrared and the sight and that. Mm-hmm. How, how much more difficult is it to fly with that shit on? It, it's actually... Uh... Well, now it's not as difficult just okay. because for the amount of time that I've been flying, um, I have, I mean, I'm like, I'm that old head <laughs> that has more MVS time than some of these pilots, uh, night vision system, okay. FLIR. 
night vision system time yeah. and some pilots have total flight time oh, so shit. Like, that's that's where i'm at in my career but um it it's not easy uh and it's a it's you have to trust your your symbology mm. and you just have to tell yourself that even though the picture that you're looking at is is shrunk and it, you look closer than what you really are. You really have to trust your symbology, trust what the aircraft is telling you. Um, and also, you know, like depending on the illumination of that night, you can still right. use your left eye for some unaided. You're not going to pick up a lot. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to see much, but, um, you know, that will help. Like on a full moon, like mm-hmm. you get some natural light that, you know, helps a little well, bit especially in the desert because yeah. you get a lot more reflection on the right sand it, it's got to be flying at night in the desert is it's got to be much different than flying let's say if you were in, in ukraine right now where yeah. there's a lot more trees and stuff it's probably a i would assume it's a little more dangerous because of your treetops and altitude and they're both kind of dangerous urban, and okay. it's kind of and it's kind of weird yes so, so explain that. Do, Why, so, what, what would make it more dangerous in the desert when you don't have you know all the trees and the towers and it's more open because it gets so dark out there you mm. can't tell where the ground is mm. and where the sky is and so obviously if, and there's mountains and shit right so okay and then also sometimes this has happened to me before like if you're in a city in the desert like there was a couple times in iraq like you would see the light reflection on your canopy mm. and you'd be like it, it would mess with you like oh no you know like retrain retrain yeah um but yeah where that comes in is uh sometimes it becomes difficult to figure out where the ground is uh treetop uh train uh trees and stuff they're pretty visible uh i would tell you i've landed a couple times with some limbs in the tailwheel uh and pine cones and stuff but <laughs> to be honest with you like that's how you have to fly right if you're in that large-scale combat operations mm-hmm. like you got to get down into trees and you have to fly and like you're not going 100 miles an hour right 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 but you got to get the aircraft down there i mean we fly to cape fear river here i mean you've seen it i i put the aircraft 15 feet off the water the entire aircraft is below the treetop in the cape fear y'all yeah. are 15 foot so yeah y'all are i mean yeah all right this is this is a funny story y'all we're here in the raleigh area and y'all do a lot of practicing on sharon, um, harris. sharon harris i fish on sharon harris a lot and the first time i saw that i was like this is fucking awesome again because while well, i'm firefighting i love helicopters especially when i see a pop Apache, mm-hmm. I'm like, hell yeah. I know somebody that might be flying. I know two people that might be in there flying. So every time I'm fishing on Sharon Harris and an Apache comes around, I'm waving, jumping up and down like a fool, you know, and then I sit back down and they come in and they'll they'll do a little dip and a yeah. turn and stuff. I got some good video. I sent you it's been a while, it was this yeah. past summer, last summer, um, of them they did a little You know what they're turn. doing, right? Yeah, you told me. So the first time it happened, I texted you, hey, man, is this you? Side note, every time I see an Apache, 
I text Warren. I'm like, hey, man, is that you flying? I'm like, no, that's not me today. One day, you're going to be there. But, yeah, you told me what they do is they will they use this target practice. Yes. Yeah, well, we, look, we, we use a target. I'm in a kite. Yeah, I, I will tell you, like, we're not shooting nothing. <laughs> the aircraft is not even loaded, okay? We have a – we actually have a training system inside the – there's a train boat. Right. It literally says train, <laughs> T-R-A-I-N. But, but you don't have weapons on there either. Correct, yeah. So what happens is – like we'll we'll go into the weapons page and I'll select train mode. And so what that does is it gives me all my symbology that I need to do an engagement. And it's actually kind of cool because like when you shoot the 30, you hear it come through the headset like or if you shoot the rockets, you'll hear it. You know, or you know, shoot a missing like so, you know, like, but for, for the record, like, we are not shooting anything off the aircraft into Sharon Harrison. <laughs> for the record, <laughs> look, y'all need to come out there and shoot some of them motherfuckers uh, sometime. Different story. But it is cool to watch y'all get out yeah. there. And I say y'all, even though you've never been there when I've been out there, but it's really cool to watch the maneuvers and stuff that they do. And they'll, y'all will get at treetop height mm-hmm. level and then you'll dip down and come back yeah. up and stuff. So that's it's our, pretty, it's pretty awesome to be able to, to be somewhere and see yeah. that. That's our, that's our approved terrain flight area. Mm-hmm. So terrain flight allows us to go down to terrain flight. Now we try it. We always, we always try to fly neighborly. Like if it's really crowded, we try not to, you know, we might say, hey, look, summer months, like it was really crowded. Don't go below 500 feet, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, it's a great area. The river route is a lot of fun, especially during the day. I can't, ima- oh, I can't imagine being on the river and y'all coming screaming down the damn river like that. That's got to be cool. Yeah, you know what was shit. really cool? So this one, I've flown the river a lot. Uh, and it's, it's, I mean. It's probably I, like being in a video the one time you get to be in a video game yeah you're just following the river and flying so one day we're, i was flying the river with uh this other guy and uh you know they have there's bald eagles mm-hmm. along the cape river uh and then you you know you got raven rock down there towards lillington mm-hmm. and uh so we're flying and i'm not kidding you i looked out the right window and there was an eagle flying like not right beside my right, aircraft. Right. Like he was, I'm man. in the river, yeah. and the eagle was over the tree. So it was like a good distance away, not even close to us. Mm-hmm. But it was really cool. I'm like, dude, you see that? And he's like, what? I was like, look out the right door. And he looks down. He's like, oh, that's an eagle. And I was like, yeah, man. I was like, fucking freedom flight. Hell yeah. And so it, <laughs> you know, he's like, yeah. He's like, sir, that's cool. He's like, we're gonna call this freedom flight. So you know, stuff like that. Um, we see a lot of kayakers along the Cape Fear River. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you see people sunbathing all, along the river. <laughs> uh, uh, it, it, it's good. Um, and I really, I've flown that river, I don't know, a hundred times. You know, you think you get old, but what I get in, enjoyment out of it is when I get to go fly with a younger pilot mm. who's never experienced that. And you get to show them they really are they are in awe and uh that's that's where i met my career with Mm -hmm. flying is like teaching training uh not to show 
younger pilots what I know. Like, look, I've done this. This is what I know. But to teach them, hey, don't make these mistakes. Mm -hmm. Not yes, this is this is cool, right? But we have to be responsible. We have to be good stewards. Like, don't don't be that guy that screws it up for yeah, that's right. Everybody else, right? Because we got a good thing going here. Like mm -hmm. uh, the the local flying area for us, like everybody uh, is very supportive of us, and it's great. And I assume that because there's a lot of small airports around here. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, on Sheridan Harris, there's a few planes. There's a biplane that flies on there all the time, and it's something like fifty foot off the water. Some days, yeah. I'm assuming y'all have to fly with those people at times. Yeah. I mean. I'm, I'm, do y'all see them on radar when they're flying? So, no, how does that uh, work? So, this is going to lead me into another question. Okay. So we fly in the federal airspace. So we, mm -hmm. uh, just because we're military aircraft, like we have to abide by certain FAA rules, mm. uh, federal airspace rules and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, so it's typical stuff. Like if I'm flying to a local airport, 10 miles out, I'm going to give an advisory call. Hey, let's say I'm flying to Johnson County Airport. I'd call 10 miles out. Hey, Johnson County Airport, this is the Apache so-and-so, 10 miles to the north, inbound for traffic pattern work, near traffic advice. And then if anybody's at that airport, they should respond, Johnson County Airport, <laughs> this is Cessna, blah, 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 doing traffic patterns, landing this runway. So now... Yeah. I know what runway they're landing to, and so I can, I have to sequence myself in. Mm, so, yeah, okay. so we have to same, talk to them, same, same thing. Same. Uh, when you get into the controlled airspace, like going into Raleigh, Durham, mm -hmm. we don't just buzz through there. We contact Raleigh Tower. We have to get permission every mm -hmm. time to come back into the airspace, even though we're based out of there. Right. You know, so we those are all the things that, that we abide by. Uh, so it's, it's, we're not special. We don't just go buzzing around doing what we want. You've talked about flight hours numerous mm -hmm. times. Put into perspective what a, um, and I, I can't remember the, the numbers that you read off that you have in combat and, and yeah, the, yeah. The, all the, the total number. Yep. But put it into perspective for folks that might not understand how much 100 or 200 hours of flight time is like we understand what 200 hours yeah, is, yeah. But can you relate that to something that the so, general public would yeah, yeah. Be able so to uh so typical flight period so a typical flight for us goes two and a half hours mm. and depending on where you're at uh in combat the most well the most flight hours that i can log is really determines am i doing day flight only am i doing day mixed with night flight am i doing night flight only stuff like that so there's certain restrictions that we have regulatory requirements that says hey you can only fly this many hours mm -hmm. after that you gotta get you have to get approval to go past that it's kind of like truck drivers right, right. they can only right. drive so many miles yeah. and they have to stop and sleep same thing with a pilot we can only fly for so long because of the physical and mental demand on flying the aircraft um so two and a half hours typical on a training flight the longest 
flight that I've ever had, and this was in Iraq. Um, I, I shouldn't say the longest flight. The longest I period that I sat in the front seat of an Apache for one day straight was nine hours. Without landing or refueling? No, we okay. had to land okay. and refuel because we did. can only get like, you only get two and a half. So there's a reason two and a half hours because we can only have, we only had that much fuel mm. on board the aircraft. But are you hot? Are you re- refueling hot when yeah. you're flying like that? Yeah. How taxed were you at the end of a nine hour flight day? I was, my butt was sore the next day. <laughs> like it was bruised. Like I, it, they don't it, have good ergonomic seats in there no, for you. Man, no it's gel the bottoms. Absolutely not. <laughs> Look, you sit on a hard plastic it was, bottom like you. <laughs> it was New Year's Eve. It was New Year's Eve, and we got called. We got again. We were QRF. And we got called out for a mission, and we went for it. And we came back. I think that mission was like total was four five hours or something mm. like that i don't know and that was with a refuel stop because mm-hmm. we we would go out we would do the mission then we would go hit the uh the, the another base refuel depending on how much time before we had to be back on a station we might shut all the way down mm-hmm. get out of the aircraft go grab like stretch. A, yeah stretch grab some like rippets rippets were awesome <laughs> by the way uh or you know some pop tarts or something. R I P. Yes, not yeah. whippets. Not yeah, rippets. <laughs> the in, like the Dollar General energy drink. There you go. The, they they weren't they weren't Stevo doing whippets Mm-mm. before they before they were. No 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 not at all. <laughs> uh, and so we got done, and we're like, all right, man, let's head back. So we're heading back to base, thinking that we're done for the night. And we are on short final landing to the runway. What I mean short final is like the aircraft is over the runway. It's on its descent. We are landing to the runway. And I look down or the radio comes on and they're like, Apache Brave, so-and-so. Um, we need you to go back to Kalsu. Your extension is getting approved. I was like, what the fuck? I was like, you got to be kidding me. I was like, we're short final. And they're like, yeah, that just took they just took IDF again. I was like, all right. So I'm in the front seat. I'm flying with my company commander. He's in the back. And uh he's like, all right, we're going. So we stop our approach, we make a right turn, we head back to Calcio. <laughs> so we get done doing the mission. We hit the refuel base again. He's like, hey. We were just doing uh, warm refuel where we shut the engines down, but we still have our smaller engine, the auxiliary power unit is running, the transmission and all that stuff so we can keep the generators and mm-hmm. everything along. And uh, he's like, hey, he's like, uh, you want to hop out and go get some Gatorade or something to eat? And I, I told him, I said, sir, if I get out of the front seat of this aircraft, I'm not getting back in it. <laughs> he's like, all right. He's like, well, I'm going to go in there. You want to get, you want anything? I was like, yeah, get me a Pop-Tart and a, Gatorade or something. I don't know. He came back. He landed, man, and like I crawled out of that aircraft and my butt. I mean, These it was bru- yeah. It like my butt was. It felt bruised. Yeah. It felt like somebody taking a sledgehammer to my butt cheeks. I I don't know. I I don't know. It was See, for people that have never been in a helicopter. It's not like riding 
in a nice car on a paved road. Like you're you're kind of bouncing mm-hmm. all damn day. I'm trying to yeah. think. When you're if you ever went to Carowinds and you rode Thunder Mountain, that climb up. Yeah. It's, it's it, if it, if the aircraft is tracked and balanced correctly with the rotor system, it's there's a, a, a steady vibration. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not like you're bouncing. Now you start throwing wind and turbulence in there, yeah, you're, you're bouncing around based off of that. Um, but if you're if it's a calm day and the aircraft is just like has a hot to it, which mm-hmm. I have had some of those, uh, then the the rotor system isn't tracked correctly. And so then at that point, we're going to go get, you know, I'm going to go grab another maintenance test pilot. I'm going to hook the camera up to it. We're going to get it tracked to where it's like, like it's like balancing your tires. Right. You ever have yep. a tire to get out of balance and you're just like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, same thing, but with the rotor system. Did you ever have any, any flights where you got scared, like turbulence or something happened mechanically that, that scared uh... the shit out of you? Have you been in that situation? Yeah, uh, there was um, actually I haven't had any major malfunctions. Most of the ones that I've had have been have been uh, minor. But the ones I'm getting ready to tell you, you're be like, how's that minor? The <laughs> uh, so we uh, again deployment to Iraq. Uh, they. We don't have autopilot in the Apache. We have what we call force trim. So what that means is I can set the controls to a parameter and I can in you know I can engage hold modes or I can trim it to where the, the controls are gonna stay in the last position that I put them in. Mm. And the aircraft is gonna stay. So it's it's like a JV version of an autopilot, if you will, except it's going to continue doing what I just told it to do. It's not going to turn right. on its own or anything like that. That makes sense. So a lot of times what guys will do is they're uh, on the pedals. They'll set the force trim and then they'll take their feet off the pedals and they'll put them on the floorboard. Because if, when you're sitting with your foot up like this, you know, the circulation is not as great. Mm-hmm. And sometimes your toes will start to get numb and just tingle <laughs> and stuff. So like, there's only so much stretching room you have. That's right. So a lot of guys will just set it and they'll get they'll trim the aircraft, get it in trim, and then they'll take their feet off the pedals and mm-hmm. leave it there. Well, what's holding that is a mag brake. There's like a little brake in there, and it's holding it. And every time you interrupt the force trim, the mood to control it releases the brake, and you can move to control, and then it'll hold it. So we're taking off out of this base, and I'm flying with. A, uh, my first company commander and he uh he has never been there before i'd been there several times so he's like hey he's like you want you want to land i was like no you got it sir i'd land there plenty of times. i want to hit the land i was like <laughs> let me sit back yeah. and enjoy my air conditioning so he landed we get refueled we're ready to take off well these bases are not airports and we're not landing. Sometimes you weren't landing to a runway. Like you're landing to a pad in the middle of an open area that's surrounded by tents or a chow hall or Humvees or trucks or whatever. Like, like that's what I said, land here. Like that's where you're going to land. So just on the, uh, 
other side of the barriers was a tower. And so we're taking off out of the out of the fart. Or we're taking off, we're climbing straight out. And all of a sudden, it's at night, and all of a sudden the aircraft just turns by itself like 90 degrees. And I'm staring at this tower. And I'm like, holy shit. He's like, whoa, whoa, what happened? I was like, I was like, you're flying. I don't know. Uh, so I was like, are you good? Heading straight for the tower. He's he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm good. I was like, I was like, he, he started going into diagnosis mode and thought something was wrong with our tail rotor. And I was like, okay, well let's, let's check it out. It's like, so we didn't hit the tower. It's a good thing. We got back on course. And we're flying, and I was like, "All right, let's check. Let's check the pedals." And so I was like, "Push on the left pedal." When you push on the left pedal, the nose of the aircraft should turn to the left. Mm-hmm. When you push on the right pedal, the right the nose of the aircraft should turn to the right. It's the counteract. It's the anti torque for the main rotor system. And so he thought we had lost like tail rotor thrust, where the tail rotor is not working anymore. And I was like, "No," I was like, "It's responding to the pedals." I think. We're good um but what was happening was remember i told you about that little mag break Mm -hmm. that had failed and when it failed the pedals still worked the tail rotor still worked but you couldn't take your feet off the pedals anymore Mm. you had to keep your feet on there to keep the pedals set to where you want them so that's what happened Mm -hmm. i had that happen to me twice on the same deployment uh Second time was during the day. Uh wasn't that big of an event. Um I've had to do a couple of precautionary landings, nothing big. I've had to land with one engine back at idle before. Um but you know, the Apache's pretty robust. It's it's got two of everything. Well that's the good thing you know, about, you know, a ship that's got two engines. If yeah. you lose one, you're still good instead of a single engine. If you lose it, you Hopefully, can all right. rotate into a softish landing. On that, you are also a test pilot. So after shit goes wrong or they fix something, yeah. you get to hop in there and go make sure that it's yeah. fixed. Yeah. Was so, that nerve wracking when you first started doing it? Is it still nerve wracking? Uh, or I mean, you yeah. just understand the the ship enough to. So they send matter. you to a course. I don't just say you're going to be a maintenance test pilot. There's an actual course that you have to go to, and it's uh, it's pretty rigorous. It's it's a tough course. Uh, you learn the Apache inside and out. You mm-hmm. learn all you learn all the systems. You learn everything about the engines, everything about the transmission, rotor system, everything like that. Um, I didn't realize how much of a finesse flying course that it was until I got there. Uh. Because the maneuvers that we have to do, the maneuvers are always the same. Um, but you know, you're you're flying the aircraft as a maintenance test pilot, staring at the engine page, messing with power levers. You know, like it's it's pretty intense. A lot of shit going on. Yeah, all at once. And while that you're while you're not looking outside, yeah, and you're not, and you're testing it like something yeah. fucked up on it. You got to make sure it ain't fucked up no more. Yeah. So 
the way the way it typically works. So say like uh, a regular crew goes out, they go do a training flight, they come back, they're like, "Hey, I had this malfunction. Okay, we ground the aircraft, we red exit, can't fly." At that point, we hand it off to the maintenance, our mechanics, which are phenomenal mechanics, dudes. A lot of those, all the mechanics are our enlisted, uh, fifteen Romeos, and fifteen Yankees. Uh, those are when I say fifteen Romeos, fifteen Yankees. Those are the military occupational skills. So the Yankees are like all the armament dudes. They work on electrical stuff and sights and weapon systems. The mechanics handle everything else. So they're like the offensive line and you're the quarterback. They're the ones you take out to dinner and treat right because they're the ones that make sure your shit's right when you go to fly. Absolutely. You take care of them. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, you don't. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Don't make them mad. Yeah. I mean, and those those, those guys, they're they're good heads, man. They love it. They don't like doing all the other Bull crap that the army <laughs> likes us to do, but hey, but like, hey, I need you to fix this helicopter. You they got it, sir. Fixed. Like we're, yeah. we're on it. Well, like they, they love that stuff, do, and, right? and yeah, yeah. I tell them, like, dude, I don't, I don't pay you to be make a three hundred on the PT test. Like I pay you to fix helicopters. Just pass the damn PT test. <laughs> That's like, right. All you have to. What yeah. do I? What you only need? You know, a yeah. fifteen minute mile. That's all you need. Yeah. Give me a fifteen point zero 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 zero. And then go fix my shit. But it, it, but we have some of the best mechanics in our organization, man. That's These awesome. guys are solid, man. Yeah. And and they take pride in it because they understand that the quality of work that they provide is my life is in their hands. Yeah. If you think about right. it, and and they take it seriously. Mm-hmm. Um. So the way it works is like we would we would ground that aircraft, we would hand it off to the to the me- mechanics. They would go into the uh, integrated electronic technical manager, and what this is is that tells you everything about the Apache. So anything that can go wrong on an Apache is in this electronic manual, and so they'll start doing the troubleshoot, and then they'll follow it step by step, and they'll fix the aircraft. Now, once they are done fixing the aircraft and turning the wrenches on it and doing the actual work. They'll come grab me or another maintenance test pilot. And they'll say, sir, aircraft is ready for maintenance checks. Okay. Well, depending on what it was, sometimes it might just be, uh, I might just have to go out and crank the aircraft and do some checks. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I might have to do a test flight. Uh, But, you know, it's neither here nor there. I've gotten used to it, but there's one maneuver that, I, I don't, I'm. It's not that I'm not used to it, but I told myself that I ever, if I ever got to where I wasn't a little nervous before doing this maneuver, mm. that it's time for me to stop. And that's the that's the auto rotation, mm-hmm. the maintenance auto rotation. Because what I have to do is I'm checking the rotor RPM for the rotor system. So how it works is I climb up to three thousand feet. I have to do, I have to do some math. And it say, hey, the rotor RPM should be from you know, this number to this number. And then I climb up to 3,000 feet. I pull one power lever back to idle. So now I'll stitch it on final one engine. And then I take the collective, which is the up and down stick, and I push it all the way down. 
So now I'm starting to default, not fall. I'm starting to descend. Okay, it's a controlled descent. Then I take the other power lever. Sounds like a fall to me. Well, yeah, you fall. <laughs> controlled though. Yeah. Okay. So then I take the other power lever on the second engine, and I pull it back to idle. So now I've fully decoupled the engines and the transmission, and I'm flying solely on the rotor system. When I say flying, I'm descending. And Betty, bitch and Betty, we call it bitch and Betty. This this really calm voice, right? (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, you might hear rotor RPM high or rotor RPM low, but it's not robotic. It's this female voice. Mm -hmm. And she's like, Rotor RPM low. Rotor RPM low. And it's just like, oh, and you're looking at your page and like you got red and yellow numbers going on. You're like, oh shit. Uh and then she's like, Rotor RPM high. Rotor RPM high. Yeah, it's just it is that way for a reason to like kind of keep you from overreacting, if you will. Mm. Uh calming, soothing, calming yeah, voice. Yeah, soothing, calming voice, right? So then once I hit my altitude at 2,000 feet, I checked the rotor RPM. Yeah, it's where it's supposed to be. I pulled power, le- pushed the power levers back up to fly, and I start my climb. And I, you know, start to climb out of it. All right. So, so to, to box that up into a nice little present, mm-hmm. you go to 3,000 feet. Yeah. You shut the fucking helicopter off. No, no, no. Don't shut it off. I, 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 look, I'm, I'm, I'm putting it I shut it, it off, I've screwed up. I'm probably never flying again. Term. You, you, you power the engines down to idle. There you go. All right. Yeah. And then you start a controlled descent, a.k.a. a fucking fall. And why did they call it auto auto rotate? Are the, are the blades at that point rotating you, you, on their own? Yes. You're okay. using the aerodynamics of the rotor system to sustain the control. What's descent. the reason for that test? So think about it this way. If the rotor the big span right if it stops spinning you're gonna crash you're fucked yeah okay all right so <clears throat> we have to make sure that it's set correctly to where it stays within limits to where you don't overspeed the rotor system mm. or underspeed the rotor system because what happens is if you overspeed, then you're not going to maintain enough lift and pitch in the blaze to control the descent all the way down to the ground. If you underspeed and you let your rotor RPM drop so low, then your generator is going to kick off. You're going to lose all your instrument and symbology mm-hmm. and then you're, you're screwed. Following. You're following. Yeah. When, when we did helicopter stuff, they always... I say always, but one of the things they talked about with the helicopter that if some if you know shit hit the fan and something happened, yeah. that the auto rotate was a way to potentially you know, save your life mm-hmm. because you wouldn't crash. Yeah, be, because of yeah, that. you're using the aerodynamics of the rotor system to control, to control the descent, descent, so you don't yeah. just free fall. Yeah, okay. that's interesting. That that is kind of scary though. You get up to yeah. three thousand feet, and you're like, "All right, we're going to idle, and we're going to drop a thousand feet." How yeah, quick it, do you drop? Huh? Is it pretty quick? No, it's not. Okay. It's not like dramatic. It, it's it's all controlled. It's, it's it. It's just the fact that you have both engines back to idle. Bitch and Betty's talking to you most of the time, and you're like, "Gosh, man! Like, I hope I don't screw this up because 
if you screw it up, you could overspeed, you could break mm-hmm. something, and God forbid you could hurt somebody. One of the things I wanted to ask you was air to air combat. We we this ain't a jet. We've yeah. covered that. Are you capable of any air to air combat or like how does that work if you get into some type of jet? Um Explain it. I can't answer yeah. that. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. It, it is it capable? Yes. Uh, <laughs> is it ideal? What, what is, is it ideal? Absolutely not. Uh, like I said, the the, the wingtips can carry the Stinger missile. I've never seen Stinger missiles mounted on on the tips of the wing. Um, I've seen a manual from like 1983. Like the year that I was born, that talks about air to air combat, but never in my aviation career have we been taught like dog fighting or anything she saw on Firebirds. Like, none of that shit. <laughs> never seen it. Never been trained on. It, Don't even talk about you it. You ain't going to be in no the air to air combat. No. Helicopter to helicopter. Y'all just going to fly by each other and wave. And no. Like... Now, if I get a chance to shoot at like an enemy helicopter, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm gonna do it uh-huh. absolutely uh but i've never we we've never been trained on it well you know back in 83 you still had so that was cold war era stuff so you still had planes that were out there that were prop planes yeah that's they when nicholas cage was in his prime <laughs> 83 <laughs> no man nick cage has been in his prime since the first movie he ever did <laughs> He has never lost his prime. I don't uh, care what people say. Nick Cage uh, is the man. Firebird. I need to uh, rewatch that damn movie. You know, he he put the damn what he back when he was trying. He he could whatever the hell the problem was with. The they put they put a pair pan, of panties on his head. Panties with a what the, the little it's like a, it's like a, uh, a, a telescope or some yeah, shit. Yeah, with panties wrapped around yeah. his face. It was funny. Like Jackson, I introduced that movie to Jackson when he was like five. Jackson's his son. Yeah, sorry. You don't have to yeah. apologize. That's what I'm here for. Yeah. So, Jack, he's he's ten. He's about to turn eleven in May. About to start middle school. Woohoo! <laughs> uh, so, but when he was in five, like he came, he went through a spell where every day he came home from daycare and he's like, "Dad, let's watch Firebirds." <laughs> like, all right. <laughs> so we watched Firebirds. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. Nice. And yeah, he's 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 all about. It. He's a good. Good to him and Asa. They 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 keep us busy. That's for sure. Oh, Good Lord, kids though. I love me. them. Love them to death. I love mine too. But they a damn handful and a half, especially my son. So we talked about Firebird. Any other helicopter movies out there that that I mean, that's the only one I can really think of. So yeah. Black Hawk Down. You know, that really wasn't a yeah. helicopter movie. But um, uh, if there was anything, because you always got Iron Eagle and Top Gun for the, the jet yeah. side. No fire, you know, Firebirds was made. I, I think I read or heard like it was made to try to mimic Top Gun, but on the Army side, and just was not. <laughs> that was ooh, Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones, nineteen ninety. Um, let me see. I mean, hell, I remember watching it as a kid. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Well, Sean Young and Brian Kessner, I don't know who the fuck they are. Nick Cage and Tommy Lee, though. Yeah. 
I remember Tommy Lee now made fourteen million, fourteen point yeah. seven billion at the box office. Yeah. Huh, ain't a bad. Oh, Walt Disney. I'm gonna have to go back and watch that. Yeah, Walt I got it on, I got it on DVD. I'll let you borrow it. There we go. I ain't got a DVD player. <laughs> Nobody has this anymore, have a DVD. man. I, 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 I still have my Xbox. You can play it on. Oh shit. <laughs> I wouldn't even know. Don't give me no Xbox. You'll see my ass on there playing some stupid ass games at two o'clock in the morning. That's why I sold mine back in two thousand three. Uh, anyway, y'all go watch that. It uh let me see. Yeah. Anyway, good movie. Fun movie. Nick Cage. Yeah, I can't I can't Hollywood think of anything. That's probably uh, it, huh? Yeah, I can't think of anything. I mean there's other there's a lot of good like military movies out there that reference like Army, uh, army helicopters. A, a, a good one is uh, Apocalypse Now. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's an old one. That's a good one. Uh, Black Hawk Down. I actually read. Uh, I actually read that book. Um, in the Company of Heroes by Mike Durant, mm-hmm. who was a pilot that was captured uh, in mm-hmm. Somalia. Actually, really cool because I let my father-in-law, Tara's dad, uh, borrow it and read it, and he got it signed mm-hmm. by Mike Durant and gave it back to. Him. That's I thought awesome. that was the coolest thing ever. If I opened it, he gave it to me on my birthday, and I was like, oh, <laughs> cool, you're giving me the book that I let you borrow. He's like, no. He's like, open it. No, I opened it, and it, you know, it had uh, NS, NSDQ, Night Stalkers Don't Quit, because that's their that's their mm-hmm. model. Uh, for those that don't know, Night Stalkers, it, it's the 160th SOAR, uh, Special Operations Aviation Regiment, so it's like the, the special ops of army aviation oh, shit what was the one with mel gibson in vietnam where they the air where we they, were soldiers we were soldiers yeah, yeah we're snake shit they yeah. call them snake shit and that guy yeah. had made how many ever flights yeah after being yeah. shot and yeah shit was all but those were hueys yeah hueys that was before those, the things, are, those things are awesome i want but, if i could do anything before i retire i want to fly huey they so there's some hueys that do a lot of logging work yeah so they they, they were the Black Hawk before the Black Hawk. They yeah. lift a lot, so do a lot of logging, and there were a lot of Hueys that did still a lot of fire suppression. The Huey, did you know the Huey was the foundation of every, almost every platform that we have? No right? shit. Right. So, yeah, it started in Vietnam. Right. Right. It was Vietnam was called the Helicopter War, and it was because of the UH-1 Iroquois. They short-named it Huey. Hmm. So, before the Cobra came along, Guess what they used as an attack asset? They used the Huey. They, they had took two gunners. No, they took rocket pods and uh, machine guns and mounted them on the side of Huey. So the Hueys were attack helicopters with rocket pods. No yeah. shit. And, that's, not, and then and then man. what they did with the Cobra was they used the rotor system and the transmission of the engine from the Huey made the fuselage slim, uh-huh. narrow, and made it the Cobra. And then from the Cobra came the Apache. Are there are there any other attack helicopters in the American? Is it just the no? The it's Cobra just and uh, the Cobra Apache? and Apache. Yeah. Well, the the one uh, sixtieth, the Night Stalkers. They have a. Um, I hope I'm going to say this right. It's called the DAP. D A P. Deep Action Penetrator. <laughs> I think it's what it's called, or Deep Attack Penetrator. I know. I like, I like really weird. Actually, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta read. Uh, I think I still have the book. It's at home. You gotta read it. It's called "In the Company of Heroes" by Mike Durant. Okay, dude's a hero, man. Like, mm-hmm. 
you read this book is it's it's an incredible story it's basically the true story of black hawk down mm-hmm. um i mean it, it, it it's awesome but i i think i remember if i remember correctly in his book he talked about he was kind of involved with the uh kind of coming up with that for the 160 black hawk down was 94 that was uh, 93, 93. 93. So, yeah, that was. Was it? No, maybe it was a little bit. It was no, early no. 90s. <clears throat> yeah, it was. Because it, uh, it was Somalia. So it was the early 90s. Yeah. It was right yeah. after. Does I want to say like 93, 94, maybe? Yeah. yeah. It was. It was. I yeah. mean, that's, that's a long time ago. I mean, yeah. When you think about aircraft and technology, and at least on. Well, I guess they made leaps and bounds in some areas and other yeah. areas. It's it's still a still a helicopter and it, a, a jet. Sometimes it's frustrating though, man. If you think about it, the the more electronics you put in stuff, mm-hmm. the easier it is to break. It's just like with these new cars, right? The more Makes electronics, sense. more gadgets you throw on it. Uh, it's the more it, shit you can't control yeah, as a pilot, right? Yeah, and you know, which is great. You know, sometimes. As the end user of it, you're like, I don't really agree with that, but you don't really get to say, <laughs> you know. Uh, Look, this is what you got. Learn. Yeah. Uh, but they are doing it for the betterment because, you know, if we don't continue to progress, like our enemies are always, they're always watching, mm-hmm. you know, they're always evolving. And if we, if we don't do the same, you know, then we're just going to fail. Um, so anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about, Learning to fly the new Echo Model Guardian is what it's called. Uh, see what that's that's got the whole. So. Sounds like it's going to be fun. You you also have your commercial pilot license. Yeah. What does that mean? You can go fly for Delta next week if you wanted to. I mean, well, obviously. mine's in a helicopter. Okay. So, so what do, what is the commercial pilot license for a helicopter? So if I wanted to go, in? say I wanted to go fly EMS for okay. a, a gotcha. hospital or something, I've had my commercial. Commercial okay. pilots, so like good. So, yeah. All right, so still, it doesn't incorporate fixed wings. No, it's just no. I have, I have to go. I haven't learned how to fly planes yet. Well, I mean, you fly the one thing that's not meant to be that you know is not meant to be. It's not in the it's, air. Yeah, it's on my to do list. I just you know, gotta. I need like time, fifteen more hours in a day. <laughs> shit, so, we all do need a little yeah. bit more than that. What out of all the shit that we talked about? That shoots off of it. What is your favorite to shoot? Ooh, it depends. It's, you're retiring tomorrow, and today they look at you and said, "Greg or Warren, damn it, why do I do that all the time?" Warren, this is uh, your last flight before you retire. You get live ammunition. As much as you, as much as it'll take, and you can shoot. This is your last flight. You get to go shoot it. I'd say rockets. Rockets are fun. Um, because it's is the most challenging. Hmm. Uh, the thirty millimeter is cool, but I'm not gonna lie. There's been times where I'm like, hey, we gotta get rid of this ammo. Go shoot it, and you're just like, okay. And after like the third round of just shooting the same target with thirty uh-huh. millimeter, you're like, all right, I'm over this, but. The rockets, the rockets are a lot of fun um, because, it, like I said, it's an art. You're mm-hmm. using the there's no weapons processor that's doing it for you. Mm-hmm. Yes and no, but it, it's it's an art to, it, it's an art to it, man. It, it 
and it's hard. It's the hardest thing to do is hmm. to shoot rockets. So I'd say rockets. Speaking of retirement, you're 17 years in. Mm-hmm. Do you have a mandatory retirement, or do you get to go when you want to go? What What does it What does it look like for you um, here in the in the future for when you step away? So for me, uh, I'm a full time federal technician, which is a 30 year retirement. Uh, I started that. that. Makes no, hold on, a second. Hold yeah. on a second. That makes no fucking sense. You're yeah. a helicopter pilot, and you're on a 30 year retirement yeah makes no sense that's uh, we've talked about this previously yeah. too and cooking and drinking but anyway keep going because that's, that's well the cool stupid. thing is so like <clears throat> if i do this right from what i've been told that from people that have been federal technicians and successfully retired if i do it right i will make more money retired than i am when i actually work okay so um for me, I got to go to 58 and a half, I think. So I'm 39. I got another marathon to run. Uh, so they don't mandatory retirement at you. Age 60. So 60, you're, you're done yeah. regardless. They, yeah, we do. Well, you do get mandatory retirement dates okay. uh, based off when you came in. I don't know when mine is. Uh, but typically age 60 is like, hey, you're done. Thanks for your service. I'll be here for you know it. Uh, Seventeen years trying to gone. figure out what or sixteen and a half has gone by extremely then fast. Buy you a kayak and go kayak fishing with me. We can wave at all your all the young bucks yeah. flying around at Sharon Harris. Yeah, I mean, there's been times. I'm not gonna lie. There's been times where I'm like, man, I'm I'm tired. I'm mm-hmm. tired. I'm, I'm ready to want to hit my twenty and you know and it, and, and be done. You but. say that too, but you were at training throughout the year mm-hmm. all the time yeah like you were you were still gone on training for weeks and in months yeah at a time away from the family and that's just for training it yeah not been, it's not even deployment i yeah no it, and, you know that's 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 i tell you tara my wife they I remember that time mm-hmm. tara my wife uh she is a rock star uh I hate, I love my job. I love my career. I love what I do. The hardest part and the worst thing that I hate is leaving Tara, Jackson, and Asa. Even if it's just for like two weeks. Like, I hate it. Uh, I think the second deployment that I went to, mm-hmm. went on when I was, uh, that one was the hardest for me. And the biggest difference was between the first and second is, we had Jackson and Asa. And so you're trying to tell a five, uh, let's see, Jackson was five, Asa was three. You're trying to tell a five and a three-year-old, I got to go away for a year. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I remember the day I had to leave, I gave, you know, put Jackson and Asa in the car seat and I went and gave Jackson a, a hug and kiss, and obviously I'm upset. You know, I got tears, and he looks at me. He goes, "Daddy, why are you crying?" And I was like, "I, I was like, I, Daddy doesn't want to have to go away," and yeah, you know, he's just like, "It'll be okay, Daddy." You know, like mm-hmm. he's a kid. Yeah, you know, he he didn't know at the time, but yeah, you know, 
that's the hardest part for me, you know, is always having to leave them for my job. Uh, even when it's just going away from training. And I, and I think because of that deployment, like Asa really doesn't like it when I leave. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you come back and you're expecting to see a five-year-old and a three-year-old, and now you have a six-year-old and a four-year-old, yes. and they don't look the same, and so much has changed, and you're trying to fit back in mm-hmm. to their world, and it's hard. So there were definitely some struggles on that uh, to the point where I had to go seek help. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, And I think if I had any... I wish I'd have done it a little bit longer because when I went to do it, I was like, okay, I'm just going to go do it. Just go do it and get done with it. And it did help, but I wish I'd have, I'd have stuck it out a little bit longer. So. Yeah, that's a year is a long-ass time. Mm-hmm. And when you're talking about kids at that age, that's two years. I mean, yeah. So much changes that you miss out on and see and, you know, that's a sacrifice that any military person has to make and their families have to make yeah. when they get deployed. That's that's not even counting, you know, what you're going to be doing and where you're going to be yeah. and the potential dangers that you might face where, you know, you don't come back the same person or come back at all. I mean, yeah. that's a, it's, it's a, that's, it's hard. It's it, hard. Yeah. It, that's a know, sacrifice you're, for both. When you're deployed, like when you're the one that's actually deployed, you're isolated. Mm. You know, you develop this routine and that is your routine. Like for me, I still remember it from my last deployment. It was get up. My shift started at like seven in the morning, five o'clock, go eat dinner, come back. I'd get a cup of coffee to go, take it back to my my uh, chew combat housing unit aka single wide divided into two rooms uh-huh. at least you had a trailer yeah. not, not a cot in a yeah. tent which I have slept on those oh, I'm sure you I have. have slept on those uh, I'd read my book I'd read a book for an hour mm. and then I would go to the gym and by the time I got done working out at the gym from 8 to 10 it was 3 o'clock 4 o'clock in the afternoon here 10 o'clock over in Iraq, I would FaceTime mm-hmm. Tara and see her and the kids. Uh, so it made it easier, but you're, you're isolated. And that's yeah. your routine. And then you, when you come back, you're like, you, as the one that's deployed, you want to pick up where you left off. Mm-hmm. And hmm. when you, you can't do that and you're trying to integrate back with your family and you're you know, the kids are always like, where's mommy? Where's mommy? And you're like, mommy's not here, but I'm here. Mm-hmm. You know, daddy's home. And they're like, I know, but where's mommy? Where's mommy? You know, they've created, they created, they've their, created routine. their routine. And, you know, it becomes frustrating. And it, to me, it became so frustrating that I got angry. And I was, mm. You know, I was getting angry. And my frustration uh, became very evident. To where Tara finally, you know, she convinced me. She's like, I can't help you with this. She's like, I'm love you. I'm here for you. I can't help you with this. Yeah. And you need to go see somebody. You, you know, that is, we're going to have to get together again because uh, I'll say this in the intro. 
because I didn't do it in the initial intro, but the people that are listening now, you heard it in the intro intro. We are in studio, quote unquote, because we're in my cold ass garage on a desk in some office chairs. If you go, if you want to see what it looks like, just go check out the YouTube video on Paul Hills uh, at YouTube and you can see what we're in. But what I'm, point I'm going to make is that's something that we need to get back together and talk about yeah. is that, what's the word I want to say, the reintroduction to home from being gone. Yeah. And then, you know, I've got some other military friends that are local that have been deployed and go through the same thing. And I think that's something we could get some folks together and talk about. Because that's a whole different side of being in the military mm-hmm. and coming in to talk about that. Anybody that wants to, where you started when you were at that time, 20 years old, any a piece of advice that you would give somebody that's wanting to go into aviation, helicopter aviation, what would that be? Hmm. Um, the one piece of advice you wish you had been told when you started doesn't have to be elaborate the one thing you know i i don't i don't know um for me i i've always kind of had the mindset of this is what i want to do and i'm going to go do it and i've I figured it out some in, in some way i might fail along the way but um you know i i don't know I don't know if there's a piece of advice. I, I, I guess if anybody that's wanting to become a pilot, um, you can't have an ego. You know? Uh, hmm. That's interesting because you think of pilots being type A. Oh, they are. Very, egos, very egocentric in a good way. You have to be. like You can't be reserved. No. You have to be. You have but, to have that mindset. But you can't be a showboater, I guess. Right. Trying to you can't. Them. You always, no matter how experienced or how long you've been flying, if the moment that you stop trying to learn, it, that's gotcha. where it becomes an issue. Like, so that's what I meant by not having an ego. Mm-hmm. Like, because flight school is like college. Hmm. Uh, it's like a mini college. Like, it starts at five o'clock in the morning. You're either in academic training and then you go to the flight line or you go to the flight line then you go to academic training and then you come home and then you're studying your ass off. It, you know, so. That sounds more like the college life playing football, not regular college life because co- regular college yeah. life, you get up at nine o'clock, you go yeah. to two or three classes and then you're done. Whereas football, you get up at five o'clock, you go work out. You go to classes, you have meetings, you yeah. have practice, you have training, all this bullshit. So I mean it's it's a whole different And I think aspect. that I think that honestly mm. I think sports and mm-hmm. the all the requirements and the dedication that's required at Carolina when we played football there definitely helped me, mm-hmm. you know, through my military career in all aspects. Um my mom will tell you, like, she worried about me going to Carolina. She's like, I don't, she's like, I don't know if you're going to be able to do it. You know, like, I wasn't dumb. You only needed a 2.0. But at the same time, <laughs> I was that guy that I had to work. Like, yeah. I knew my limitations and I wasn't, 
I wasn't one that could hear something or read something and have it and understand it. I had to write it out. I had to commit it to muscle memory. Mm-hmm. And once I did that, I had it. And I think that's why flying kind of came because there's a lot of muscle memory. Yeah, it's a lot of doing. Um, a lot of doing. But yeah, so I, for me, anybody, my advice would be to always stay humble. Uh, never let your thirst for knowledge and learning in your craft mm-hmm. uh stop because once that happens then you're yeah. either you're gonna hurt somebody or yourself and nobody ever wants that really so it, that's the thing it it, it really just kind of depends you know if you come in with the attitude that oh i had this i you know i know it i can do this you know and think you're gonna skate by it's not gonna work out in your favor. You gotta have you gotta have a lot of drive. You yeah. Gotta be driven. And even if you do get the flight, get through flight school, when you get to your first unit, we'll know. <laughs> we always know. Yeah, I'm sure at this point uh, you can tell when somebody shows up if they're gonna make it or not. When it comes down to it, probably within really? the first day. And for me, you don't have to be the best pilot. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be the best pilot. I want somebody who wants to learn. And is going to take everything in and make the organization better. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's what I'm looking for. Our playing days at Carolina, um, Warren came in a couple years after me, but he was my snapper for two years. Yeah. So him and I, we worked together. He snapped to me, I punted, and so that was that was our connection. That was our friendship, and that's who we were together. And one of the funniest, it was a few, it was a bunch of moments. One of the funniest things ever was we had this little JV game. And I talked about it with Michael Felder on episode two. We had this, this JV game. It was the first game after 9-11. Yeah. And uh, because the other game had gotten canceled. Anyway, they come to me and wanted me to kick and I can't kick. <laughs> and so they tried to teach me for a couple of days and that shit wasn't working out. And so apparently Warren kicked in high school straight on toe kicking. No, no it was soccer, soccer style. Yeah, soccer, he kicked. yeah. So we play this, this JV game against Hargrave and he snaps to me on punts and I punt and then when the field goal and kickoff came, Warren was kicking. It was, yeah, it was, it was weird, like being man. in high school it all was. over again. It was crazy. Man. I yeah, mean, it, it was funny as hell. Yeah, in high school, uh, middle school and high school, I I grew up playing soccer before I started football. And then my oldest brother, Jason, he kicked field goals in middle school. Then my other brother, James, kicked, played soccer and kicked. And so it was just something we did. But it worked uh, out because otherwise I'd have been straight straight on toe kicking trying to kick shit in. Yeah, so (laughs) that was pretty funny. But yeah, my middle brother, uh, he was a year ahead of me in high school. So he took on the kicking. We didn't have a long snap. And so they're like, hey, Green, you play baseball? Come long snap. I was like, what's that got to do with anything? I was like, what What does baseball have to do with long snapping? I, I don't even know how to long snap. And they're like, oh, just grab it like you're going to throw it, bend over and throw it between your legs. Okay. I was like. So that's how it started. Mm-hmm. And then I was fortunate enough to where we had uh, a couple guys that went to East Carolina in the late 90s to be kickers and holders. And it was uh, Nicky and Eddie Crabtree. And they would come back mm-hmm. 
uh, that played at Triton High School. And they're like, oh, yeah, we'll do this. And so I learned how to, like, long snap with two hands. And uh, I became the long snapper. My brother was a field goal kicker and a punter. There you go. So, but yeah, it, you know, before, but then like, uh, I was like, I, I kicked in high school. You know, I played tight end a linebacker in high school, too. <laughs> I wasn't just a kicker. Well, so that was me in high school. Yeah. I, I was a quarterback, auction quarterback, threw the ball, uh, played deep. I never came out the field. Most yeah. people I ever played with on the football team was 18 yeah. players. And so I came off for kickoff and kickoff return, but I couldn't kick. And I got good enough to, at punting to be able to walk on it, Carolina. Right. And when, when Coach Powell, <laughs> I was like, Coach, I can't kick. He's like, y'all have to know Coach Powell. He said, what? But I was also a, a, scout, team, I was a scout team linebacker for three yeah. years, too. So, like, I did, I did all of my punting duties, and then I was on all the all – the, uh, the scout team, mm-hmm. punt block, and kickoff return. I did all that stuff, too. Yeah. I, said, I can do anything on this field except kick a football. <laughs> I will. I, I want to forget watching you try to kick. That was, it was uh, comical. Well, was- you got Dan Orner. We played with Dan Orner, and he was the kicker. And he's he has trained more people in the NFL kicking than I think anybody in the history of yeah. training kickers at this point. And he was out there trying to teach me. I just, I, I never uh-huh. played soccer. The one time I tried to play soccer yeah. was my sophomore year with Jeff and John and these guys. And I sucked at it. We were playing like this pickup game and I sucked at it. They put me at goalie. I sucked at that shit. So the only thing I was good at was go out there and play defense and, you know, piss people off. So that's what I did. Yeah. Well, well look, we're going we're gonna to wrap this up here. Dude, this was, this is an awesome time getting to catch up. Yeah. First, first, in, in studio if you want to call this a studio uh guest and i appreciate man this is a yeah. good ass time and and for anybody that's ever wondered what it's like to be an apache helicopter pilot you just got the full experience without actually getting to be in it this is yeah, awesome. yeah, of course yeah. hey what does it what's it going to take for me to come up there and be able to get into the simulator uh well right now we don't have one oh uh, but we're but we're getting one. Oh, you're getting uh, a new one we're getting a new one. one yeah so uh i absolutely you can make it happen uh probably i would say probably fall fall winter of this year i can be patient i'll yeah. wait for that but when it comes in i'd like to do that any parting words for folks listening that you want to leave them with uh you know it doesn't have to be profound you can nah, tell them to i mean whatever you want to tell them yeah, you, know, you kind of got you got me on this one. I, I thought I had I thought I had this licked until now. Uh, See, well, that's the thing is, you know, we talked about what you know really well, what you do professionally yeah. as fly fucking helicopters. Yeah, not to be not to come on here and be you know Confucius. Yeah, give us no, nothing um, like that. No, I, I think uh, just with everything going on and uh, just always wake up every day and and try to be a good person. Uh, that's that's the biggest thing for me. I, I know one thing I tried to do, and I know I'll never be perfect, but one my daily goal is to just always be a better, you know, father, husband, and and officer and pilot. You know, just mm-hmm. always find a way to be better. Continue to work, continue to drive, um, and and be successful. 
Awesome, man. Well, this is great. I appreciate you coming over and talking to me yeah. and, and letting, letting us into what it's like to be a pilot and uh, great stories, great information, and we thank you. Well, I appreciate you having me. It was a good time. Uh, I told you. I told you we were going to have a good time. <laughs> <laughs> it all worked out so far. Nothing fucked up, so I'm happy with that. Right on. All right, man. Well, look, thank y'all to everybody that is still listening. I uh, appreciate you tuning in to Entertainly Educational. And until the next time, hootie hoo!